You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for our Australian Open update. Uh, all thanks to Kia EV6 GT, a pinnacle of engineering and the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Sports Day SA. When you spend your lifetime trying to get your hands on the Holy Grail. On Cruise 1323 and 1629 SENSA. We welcome to uh, Brett Phillips to the summer edition of Sports Day SA, who's had a massive two weeks. Brett, welcome to the show. No, thank you very much, Paul Coons. Uh, good to be uh, good to be on the day after, uh, well, what has been labelled uh, the best Australian Open ever. I can't remember if they said that last year or the year before that, but, <laughs> hey, it's been great. I mean, it's a great two weeks and uh, very lucky to be sort of working in uh, the internal part of it. Uh, so I, I probably see from a yeah, different lens. Um, but when I was walking through, you know, Garden Square and Grand Slam Oval, I thought, one day, I just wouldn't mind being out there just for the day, just to soak it up from a totally different angle. And I couldn't believe the crowd in there last night, not only on Rod Laver Arena, but if, if, if I'd just been you know, tapped on the shoulder and woken up, I'll, you know, I thought I was at the World Cup at one point, the amount of people in a garden square. So, yeah, it was a phenomenal two weeks. How long has it been since you've been out with the people, BP, rather than behind the glass? <laughs> Well, probably since I supported Fitzroy, uh, Coon standing in the outer of you know, the oh. Witten Oval and Cadinia Park <laughs> and Moorabbin. And they were the days I was in the weeds. It was uh, fantastic. I love those days and I miss them, uh, miss them a lot. Uh, may they rest in peace. The Roy boys too, BP. I won't get you started because you'll start crying too early. We need you for about 10 good minutes here. So we'll leave that alone, park that to the side. Why did they say that it's the best Australian Open ever? What made it better than the rest? Well, they had a target certainly of uh, you know to get 900,000 spectators through uh, through the doors, and it's an interesting one. I've heard it discussed today that the TV ratings were down on last year, but the attendance is up. And what what you what you realise when you're actually working at the Australian Open is that there are so many people who are there who don't even take in the tennis, so they wouldn't probably watch it on TV at home but they'll come to the tennis as an event who are congregating with friends, mates, or meeting you there, meeting you at that bar, have a few drinks. Yeah, the tennis is on the big screen in the background, but they just love to stay there all night uh, on the balmy Melbourne nights and just enjoy being at you know, one of the most spectacular sporting events, if not the biggest, uh, you know, certainly in Melbourne. But you realise that not a lot, there's not a lot of tennis purists there. So, but that's what, that's what they've done a great job at, is turning a tournament into an actual event. Uh, and there's that much to do, even if you don't see one ball hit. Um, so I suppose you could declare it the best ever in terms of, yeah, the attendance. It's a bit like the uh, Adelaide Test Match. A lot of people don't see a ball bowled at the Test Match. Uh, Brett, let's talk about the women's final first. Uh, your selection to win the whole thing won the whole thing. Sabalenka uh, won in three sets. Well, I think it's a great story. Uh, yeah, I've been really bullish about her for a while. I mean, I just remember, you know, when she came onto the scene as a 17, 18-year-old, she was a bit of a late developer, didn't play, you know, any of the junior grand slams. She just hit the ground running, you know, powerful, 
uh, loud on court. Um, you know, we've got a, a real sort of presence about her, those big, broad shoulders. And she's played uh, a, a huge power game. Yes, lost her way on serve about 12 months ago and had all sorts of issues uh, just basically... Um, you know, the game just unfolding out on court uh, where she couldn't hide and uh, serving double fold after double fold. And she went away, worked with a biomechanist and helped her improve that and, you know, watched vision, added more kick into her serve. And, you know, when I saw her in Adelaide uh, for that week leading into Melbourne, I thought, no, she's rectified this. And once you get into a grand battle with Arena, I mean, good luck. It's just, uh, you know, it's a tidal wave uh, coming at you. And, look, it was a hard-hitting final. I don't think I've seen... Not from recent memory, um, you know, two big ball strikers going toe to toe like that, and you know, Sabalenka had to hold her nerve in the end. We hope that you know, she, I think she what, served one double on match point, took a few championship points to get there, uh, but she's been knocking on the door for a while, and she's always brought the game, the personality, and uh, yeah, I think there will be you know certainly more Grand Slams for her down the track. To the men's now, and this is a couple of days old now, but the new uh, Kokonakis uh, brothers, uh, Jason Kubler and Rinky Hijikata, the doubles champs. Yeah. Jason Kubler uh, did really well in the in the singles as well, and, um, and Hijikata obviously run his, won his round one match. So extremely successful tournament for the, this pair. Well, we're doing something right in doubles, Coons. I mean, the Kays, uh, Maddie Ebden and Purcell winning Wimbledon last year, and now, yeah, the wildcard pairing, and Look, this is this is the benefit the Aussies uh, get in that uh, it's our home slam. It's at the discretion of Tennis Australia to pick wildcard pairings, and you know they they go with you know, often two singles players who don't really play a lot of doubles. But um, you know, I, I know that it, it's done to certainly help them financially. And if they win a round or two, good luck. So they don't, they don't really come in with any expectation. Here's a wildcard. Do your best. Have a bit of fun to see how you go. And these two sort of developed incredible energy yet on the court, great synergy for you know, two guys that hadn't been um, uh, in, in unison, sort of just knowing the nuances of a doubles court. Then they beat the top seeds and they, they actually started to believe, a bit like Kokonakis Kyrgios the year before, that they could actually win the whole thing. And look, two terrific guys, they're really humble. Jason's a bit older, been through the six or seven knee ops, uh, 29. We hope there's still some really good singles. He should be aiming for top 50 this year. And Rinky should be aiming for top 100. And they might play a couple of doubles tournaments here and there, but it's probably unlikely their schedules are going to meet. Uh, but, hey, on the CV, they are Grand Slam champions forever. And, uh, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. The match point, if you haven't seen it, was uh, sensational on Saturday night and the, and the crowd support they got. Yep, spot on. Can't take that away from them now. So you mentioned the um, they, they want to break into the top 150, respectively, and playing doubles at the moment can affect your singles game, but they need to do it financially. Um, how much do they take home for winning the whole thing? And do they, do they split the prize money 50-50, or do they get that prize money each as you, if you, if you Google the prize money? Uh, I haven't got it right in front of me, Coons. I'm just trying to think what the doubles prize money is. Uh, I'm guessing it's, it's not 2.2 about... mil. No, no. It'd be probably it'd probably be about close to half a mil each, I think, somewhere around that mark. But I'd have to double-check that. So, yeah, I mean, for these guys, it's pretty significant. I mean, Rinky's, uh, you know, pretty fresh and new on the ATP Tour. Last year was his sort of first real crack at it, playing Nadal on centre court at... You know, the US Open taking a set off in, and, and obviously Jason's been around longer with that great run at Wimbledon uh, last year. So I, I wouldn't expect these two guys are going to play probably a lot of doubles. It was all the moment of the Australian Open and the summer. Uh, for example, like Rinky's gone down to, <laughs> to play the Bernie International. 
uh, <laughs> the, the, oh the tip of Tasmania today on the little wreck. Chockies so to boil volleys. <laughs> yeah. So he he's got to, but he's he's got he's got to play those events to obviously boost his ranking. If he wins a challenger this week, well, that's you know that, that does get him towards the top one hundred. Well, oh, fantastic. Let's go on to uh, the men's final. Uh, Djokovic sits a pass. It was a hard fought slog for the Joker, but in the end, was he really in trouble? No, I didn't think Sitsipas brought the level that uh, we knew he could. I think the way he started was um, was pretty ordinary, to be honest, uh, last yeah. night. And, and once you concede that first set, yeah. uh, your, your scoreboard pressure against you is just enormous. Look, he certainly dug in, and he had the advantage of serving first in the second. And uh, you know, Novak couldn't sort of break his serve. Third set tie-break again. Uh, but you always felt that uh, Djokovic was probably going to get him at some point. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, errors off that forehand last night. Uh, that kept racking up that stat all night. And Novak kept peppering deep into the corners and putting a lot of pressure on that forehand. And I, I just didn't think Sitsipas, um I didn't think he took the game on. And that's, this is the issue. And you, it's almost like these guys, they know the game plan they've got to adopt. I know, it's, and I know it's easier said than done against, you know, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, but it's almost like you're going to a bit of a freeze moment of just rallying with Djokovic, and Djokovic just loves that. It plays into his hands beautifully because he, he will out-rally anyone you know, on the court from the baseline. So, yeah, Tsitsipas, will, uh, he'll live and learn. I think his time will come to win one, no doubt about that. He's a, he's a great talent, uh, but Novak, uh, you know, it's just it's incredible, this record he's built at uh, Melbourne Park, and I, I dare to say there will probably be another uh, two or three Australian Opens that he could possibly win. Well, you mentioned the greatest of all time in that little spiel there. Uh, he even had the jacket with the 22 already on there. I know that was given to him just before he, he finished the game or as he finished um, and claimed the title. Is there any doubt that, that he will be the greatest of all time? <laughs> yeah, look, for me personally, it's sort of a discussion that I just sort of want to I just want to sort of park and, and just enjoy the remainder of Nadal and, and Djokovic and then maybe sit down in 10, 15 years and peel all that apart. But I, I certainly understand, um, and, and I've, I've sort of maintained a fairly consistent thought when I've asked this question, Paul, is that, you know, to me, when I just close my eyes, I love Roger Federer. I love the way he played. Uh, to me, he's the greatest player I've watched. That's not to say I don't appreciate Djokovic. Where we sit in the bunker on RLA for the last two weeks, this guy's an incredible athlete. And his uh, flexibility, lateral movement, uh, his anticipation, uh, everything he's done to be the best, his mental resolve is just phenomenal. And, yes, I mean, he's going to break all the records. So if we're basing it on stats, there'll be, hands down, he will be uh, the greatest there was because he'll probably go past, you know, Margaret Court. I'm sure that's the aim, at least get 25. Uh, record number of weeks at world number one, the head-to-heads over his two biggest rivals. So it's going to be hard to argue, that's for sure. So he he pointed to his head, then he pointed to his heart, and then we all saw he was pretty reserved, uh, shook the hand of Sitsipas, the umpire, and then once he got up to his box, we saw the emotion flow, and it was almost he couldn't c- control himself after that. Do, do you feel like he, he thought that that was his best Grand Slam victory of all? Yeah, and, he, and I listened to his presser, Coons, later, and... He, he sort of indicated that. Um, just, I suppose, uh, everything he's gone through this two weeks, you know, with the injury, um, the situation with his father, and then going back 12 months ago, being deported from Australia, and everything that went with that. He's a complex character, Novak. And, 
Yeah, I mean, we've never seen him that outwardly emotional, that's for sure, you know, laying in the player box. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you try and put yourself in, in those shoes. How would you, how would you react? Uh, I, I suppose also, 35 years of age, you know, these get harder to win. Uh, 36 this year, it's going to become even harder. Uh, particularly when, you know, I want to see Carlos Alcaraz come back on the tour. We've missed him in the world number one. I want to see these two go head-to-head a little bit later on this year. So, yeah, I think it probably means a hell of a lot like it did to Rafa 12 months ago, you know, 13 years apart when he won his first Australian Open. Uh, you probably don't quite think you're going to get to the, you know, the top of the mountain again. So the, um, the world number one at the moment, you, you mentioned Carlos Alcaraz. When is he expected back from injury? Yeah, well, he should be uh, he should be pretty close. I don't know if he'll play. I mean, February is a, a, a typical month where not a lot of the, the big line, the big name players play. There's a, there's a couple of events in the Middle East, Dubai and Doha, which are 500 events. So some will play, some won't. But most will have a you know, who go deep at the Australian Open will probably uh, not, not settle up to Indian Wells, Miami, right at the start of March. So. Yeah, either we're going to see Carlos late Feb, or I think he'll be back certainly for Indian Wells, which um, I cannot wait. The desert, beautiful tournament. Is Alcaraz the next big thing in tennis? Like, is he one to take the mantle of of, or and maybe who else is when there's no more Roger, there's no more Rafa, and you know, three or four years time when the Joker retires, who are the next players that are are going to fill that gap? Well, I think, yeah, he, he now has set himself apart from the young guys. Yep. So the level he brought last year was just absolutely incredible. You know, a fun player to watch. Um, you know, a bit like Roger, could play any shot from any part of the court. Last year, he, you know, when he used the drop shot as, you know, as well executed as I've seen anyone. So there's sort of, there's, there's Carlos, there's Holger Rune, the young boy from Denmark who, more people in Australia got to see up close who cracked the top 10 last year. Yannick Sinner's gone back a couple of pegs, but, you know, Darren Cale and his corner, I think, you know, that partnership long-term will bear fruit. But it's interesting now because Zverev and uh, Berrettini, you know, Medvedev's dropped outside the top 10. Rublev can't get past a quarter-final, although he ran into Djokovic this week, so maybe we give him a, a little bit of a, a pass there. So I think there's been a real shift, but it is Alcaraz who is a few rungs above all those young guys at the moment. But now we want to see, can he take on Djokovic? And and uh, I, w- I want to see that battle, uh, you know, a few more head-to-heads, uh, hopefully this year. So in-match coaching is allowed this year. Um, we saw it up and close, particularly last night. It was pretty emotional at times between Goran Ivanisevic and Novak. Um, do you have an issue with that? There has been um, some debate around it. Is tennis sort of separate to a lot of other sports, which is quite unique in that um, when a player is battling out there by themselves, it's up to them to be able to work out what the opposition is doing. And that was one of the advantages that the better players have in the world. Do you have an issue with the in-match coaching? No, I love it. Uh, I love it, Coons, to be totally honest. I, I, t- I certainly understand. I had a good... Uh, not, not a debate, but just a discussion with Chris Cleary from the New York Times, who was part of our coverage on uh, SEN across the last uh, fortnight. And, and he is probably more of a traditionalist uh, who likes the fact that tennis has that unique aspect of uh, you just, you know, the player fending for themselves and thinking for themselves. But these coaches are paid a lot of money. They're part of the entourage. Yes, it's unique in that the, the player is the CEO effectively and can hire and fire in the coach whenever they like. Uh, but why shouldn't the coach have? you know, some sort of uh, influence. I mean, really, they, they've been coaching for a number of years. 
and this is why it became a hot topic, is because let's actually just get some black and white about this, because there was always the debate, you know, the hand gestures, are they giving any signals? Now, go back a year ago, ever as Duraki Moore, the chair umpire from Greece, was asked to stand underneath the Sitsi Pass coaching box to see if she could pick up any words spoken. So, yeah, so the good part is now, you know, throughout, throughout a match, a coach can just sort of maybe lean over and point out one thing that might just help their player. And why not? I mean, that's, you know, coaching is part of every other sport. Um, and I, I, think it's, I think it's great. It was good theatre. Uh, at times as well, and and the coaches had you know iPads in the box where they could they could pick up things pretty quickly and see it from a totally different lens than the, than the player. I think it's great. All right, before we let you go, BP, uh, what was your highlight of the last two weeks? Yeah, good question. I mean, sometimes it's all a bit of a blur when you're covering uh, the tournament. I mean, look, the Murray Kokonakis uh, match was phenomenal because it went uh, went so late and. Yeah, the uh, you know the ebbs and flows in that match. I, I hope Fanasi hasn't uh, walked away uh, with that you know still in his brain. Hopefully, the people have got around him to say let's move on because it was a shattering loss uh, for him, uh, no doubt. And I think we got a we got a great women's final. I think I really enjoyed that uh, on Saturday night. And you know, three sets went down to the wire. Uh, you know, we had Ash Barty you know with a great uh, victory last year in the final. Uh, different circumstances, but. Yeah, there's a couple, uh, a couple off the top of my head. Thanks, BP. You've been fantastic over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we really appreciate your time coming on the show across the Australian Open. Uh, enjoy uh, the first serve and then have a little break, my friend. Indeed. No, thank you, guys. Pleasure. Brett Phillips from the Australian Open. He was there every day calling just about every game he could. And uh, Coons, um, great man to talk to about tennis. Well, he's the the doyen, he's the guru, and he's the busiest man uh, on radio during the last couple of yes. weeks because he does about 30 to 40 crosses every day by yes. phone and we all try and get a hold of him because you know that he's articulate and he knows his stuff. And he never says no. He says no. He always, no. Says, he, he always yes. says yes. He's a great man. Because he always pumps up the first serve, which is on tonight. Coons, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we got no time left. We're running run out. So um, thanks for your... Uh, company today. It's been good. It's been a pleasure filling in. I'll hopefully do it again soon with you. All right. This has been the summer edition of Sports Day SA.